Welcome to Flow City with the dreamer and doer, Lonnie Gamble, and the ever-curious, Leanne Gluck. Flow Cities explores how we create cities that manufacture, grow, and produce everything they consume, transforming urban life into circular economies that are equitable for all, Earth included. So join us on a global journey as we meet with leading thinkers and doers in the Flow City Revolution. Well, hey there, Lonnie Gamble. Hey, Leanne Gluck. How, how's, how's life with you these days? It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. <laughs> yeah, especially in New York. Oh, yeah. yeah. After spending one year in Iowa, um, parking in Manhattan has become a whole new thing. <laughs> how are you? Good, good. Just still living the good life here in France. Uh, I, uh, I got myself a bass guitar, a new bass guitar that I've been thinking about, dreaming about getting for about 10 years. I actually had to get two different ones before I found one that, I, that was really fit what I wanted to do. And then I'm trying to hack together a bass amp out of uh, parts that I found at the, at the um, uh, local uh, like equivalent of the Salvation Army. It's called Emmaus here. Uh, anyway, so I'm just, you know, kind of busy with my little hacking adventures and my gardening. And, um, that's, you know, that's what our, our, um, our interview today is going to involve gardening in France and farming in France, uh, I, food production. I love it. Are you, are you going to start a, uh, a French rock band, little, uh, little band? <laughs> yeah, maybe if I can find some French rock musicians, <laughs> you know, um, speaking of music, speaking of musicians, I actually, uh, I cooked for a I cooked for a famous rapper. About really? A week ago. Tell, I, me, I did. tell me about how did that come about? <laughs> so in uh, in Fairfield, uh, Iowa, there's a really well known Ayurvedic spot, which I'm sure you're familiar with, called the Raj. Right. Um, and I got to know the um, woman who manages the Raj and also runs the kitchen, and um, I went in. And spent the Sunday, you know, they have, they have fancy guests come in all the time and guests come in with their kind of entourages. And so we went and, we, and I cooked um, and they, they have an Ayurvedic fair. So it was like a four course Ayurvedic meal, um, kind of a special uh, and, kind of asparagus. Leanne, for our guests, who, for our uh, listeners who might not know Ayurveda, what Ayurveda is, could you explain that just a little bit? Oh, wow. Um, Sure. Let's see if I can. You might have to fill in the gaps in that. So it's it's basically um, it's a Indian modality um, of health and wellness um, that looks at the body um, through the lens of doshas. So everyone has a different kind of dosha. You're either um, pitta, kapha, or what is it? Pitta, kapha, or vata. Yeah. Um, and based on your dosha you take care of your body in a certain way um, through different kinds of treatments, through different um, kinds of supplements and herbs, and through different kinds of foods that you eat, um, spices that you ingest um, in order to kind of holistically take care of the body. And they have all these kinds of treatments like something called panchakarma, um, 
and I can't, I can't remember what, there was like a three day thing that the, that this particular person was coming to do. I can't right. remember what it was, but different kinds of treatments it's they do. Kind of their like, idea of the size doesn't fix It's kind of like the traditional healthcare system, the indigenous healthcare system of, of, of India, parts of India. Yeah. 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 So it's, it's, uh, yeah. And, and, um, uh, so go ahead. So keep, keep going with your, yeah, so um, I learned a couple of really cool cooking techniques, made some really awesome rice. I actually made, I found, have a new way now of making amazing rice. But they cook, so we made, we made yeah, we made some soups and some rices and some curries. And, and a lot of the cooking involves like cumin and <clears throat> coriander and mustard seed and ghee and coconut oil, uh, not coconut oil, coconut milk. Um, so the base is, is generally like a base of like ghee and cumin and um, uh, coriander and mustard seeds. And, and I think the, the spices are adjusted for the person in the season. You know, it's just like right. now, you know, modern medicine has found that, you know, different people have different reactions to different kinds of medicines and different kinds of medical modalities that, that you can't treat, you know, the mass of humanity, you know, the same. And so... Ayurveda, I think, you know, one, one way of looking at Ayurveda is it's a, a way to uh, work and, and uh, categorize those differences and then um, look, at, look at the connections in the environment, like in the summer when it's hot, different people react different ways to hot weather and other people react different ways to cold weather. And so these are these Vada, Pitta, Kapha elements um, and people can be some combination of the three. It's quite complex. And um, uh and and so so uh, uh it's it's a, it's also a way of connecting you to the environment and the season which is just exactly what we're trying to do with uh, reinventing the food system as well yeah absolutely yeah the, and so we had um i think it was asparagus and spinach and butternut squash was what was on the menu and a lot of these a lot of like mung dal mm -hmm. um mung dal and rice um, and, and yeah, there's a big fridge and in the, well, you know, it was kind of interesting. It was a big fridge and in the fridge was, you know, all the, the produce that we were using. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was actually really curious, of course, just coming from the ag program in Fairfield to understand kind of what kind of produce they were using and where they source their produce. Um, mm -hmm. so that what was really find out. Why? Well, I, I heard you had a really interesting story about, about that, about the in, inception well, of that. Well, you know. So, so I, I heard a story about the Raj uh, where um, there's, <coughs> when, when Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, who's the, you know, kind of the person who brought Transcendental Meditation to the West and the town of Fairfield, there's a university that is based on his uh, philosophies and his meditation practice, also combining it with uh, modern, uh, you know, Western uh, conventional academic disciplines. And so uh, that's the school Maharishi International University just graduated from. So the Raj is kind of, uh, you know, part of that whole community. And um, they have, when Maharishi first brought out, you know, was bringing out, the, you know, his, his version of Ayurveda, uh, he had, um, you know, well-known, famous Ayurvedic doctors from India that he was working with. One of them was named Balraj Maharishi. Balraj Maharishi had a special... Um, uh, capability and he could walk through the forest and plants would tell him 
what they were good for. He had this very special capability of communicating with plants. And I think we've all had some uh, hint of that. You know, you, you, you in the garden and you look at a plant and it's wilting a little bit and it's not, or it's not quite as green as it should be and it's a little bit yellow and it's telling you something and, you're, and, and you understand that it's not quite healthy. So I think he just had a very highly refined version of that kind of capability. And um, he told the people at the Raj who were developing these Ayurvedic treatments for the West, um, holistic health treatments, that if they would, he thought it was very important that they produce all the food that is used at the Raj in the environment there at the Raj, and that it would have a great impact on the health of the people who went through there. And he, he told the, um, the um, director of the, of the Raj resort that if they grew the food um, that they used at the Raj, he would come and he would walk through the forests and fields of Iowa and tell him what the analogs were for all the plants they were buying from India in their treatments. So they would have a, they would be, be, be more efficacious because they were more tuned to the laws of nature of Iowa. And so uh, the, the Raj at the time, this was a number of years ago, maybe 15, 20 years ago, and they put up greenhouses and they hired people to run the farm and they had a whole farming operation going on. And I, don't, I never heard the other end of the story, whether Balraj Maharishi came and was able to um, identify those plants and, and if they integrated them into their treatments or not. But um, that's so, well, I, go ahead. You know, I, I love that story. I think it's phenomenal. And um, it would be so cool if the Raj today was able to source more of its produce from yeah. the MIU rope program. Right. Why not have a relationship yeah. right yeah. directly there? And then yeah. have the rope kids go in and learn to cook. Yeah. I think that'd you know, be phenomenal. Have a, have a culinary um you know, have the rope kids run a run a little rest uh, a pop up restaurant a couple times. Yeah. Something. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway, I think that that kind of ties in nicely to uh to our our interview today. Um, yeah. Because... Yeah. So yeah. So we're we're gonna um, you know, so this so we've we've talked about you know um you know kind of a lot of the the foundational fundamentals of fab cities and the flow city idea. Uh, in the past, with economics, with uh, with with uh, fab labs, with uh, with eco cities, and um, now we're going to get into the detail of producing all the food. You know, the, the idea with a fab city or a flow city is that it's a city that produces everything that it consumes: energy, food, water, uh, manufactured goods, everything. And so, the, the one of those elements, very important element, is food. And so, um, you know, it wasn't too long ago that uh, local food systems were quite common and still um, more than 70% uh, of the people in the world are, fell, are fed from small peasant farmers. Industrial agriculture does not feed the world, actually, according to several studies by the UN. It's, most of the people are fed by small farmers. Um, and uh, local agriculture. And so I'm in here in France and France has a long tradition of local agriculture and, con and, and people having connection to the land. Many people are only one or two generations from the land and still have maybe, you know, uh, you know a country house or something that was a farm that was part of the family's uh, legacy in the past. And so I connected up with uh, Elise Caban here, who's one of the new generation of uh, young French farmers, and uh, she um, she'll tell her story in the interview. But she uh, she works in this uh, really beautiful area of the town of Gaillac, which since the Middle Ages has been an area which has been the vegetable production area for the community. 
And it's now somewhat of a combination residential area and vegetable production area. And as you can imagine, it's stunningly beautiful. And um, there's still, um, you know, 80, 80 uh, at least introduced me to these kind of 90-year-old guys who still have these huge, what we would call market gardens, but it's just essentially their home garden. They don't, they don't, um, they've retired, but they still have amazing gardens, some of those beautiful gardens I've ever seen. And Elise's grandfather was part of that tradition. And so um, I think, you know, without further ado, let's go on to the interview with Elise. And then let's you and I come back after um, Leanne and uh, talk a little bit more about, you know, how that fits into the Fab City and Flow City theme. Sounds good. Okay. Uh. Inch by inch, row by inch. So I'm here in Gaillac, France, in um, the Hortelis district of Gaillac, France, with Elise Caban in her beautiful farm called the Jardin Hortelis. And Elise um, is uh, one of the new generation farmers, um, although she comes from a tradition, I'll let her speak about that, but she comes from a tradition where her grandfather and her uh, great-grandfather were both uh, mariachage or um, market farmers. And I'll let her tell more about this area. And we were just, I've been working with her on her farm and um, we were just in her um, in her garage where she still has the tools of her grandfather that she uses on her farm. Uh, hi, Elise. Hi. Thank you for um, agreeing to, to interview. And uh, could you tell me, um, you know, I did a little bit of an introduction, but could you tell me a little bit about how you came to farming and, and um, you know, what, why you're doing this work? Yeah, well, I think for me it was very circumstantial. Um... Unfortunately, my grandparents passed away and we ended up having this place with uh, the lens and the historic that comes with it. And I just felt that uh, I needed to do something with this so that it doesn't disappear and some house are built on top of it. So uh, my partner and I, we started uh, looking into different forms of agriculture. We've had heard of permaculture before. And we just decided first that we could try to grow some veggie for us. And if we had some extra that we could uh, eventually sell them. And the more we digged into uh, those uh, project type uh, and example that we could find around, then the project evolved into a market uh, garden like it is today. <laughs> could you... <coughs> Excuse me. Excuse me. No, that's um, could you tell me a little bit more about this this area that we're in in Gaillac, the Hortelis, because um, it's a, a really unique place. Yeah, that's the the Hortelis, like in French, means the place where we grow the vegetables for the food. And since the Middle Age, the food uh, for the city was grown in that area uh, with just local people who would every week bring the food to sell in the center of the of the city. Uh, so the lands are old. Um, Alluvian, I don't know in English, alluvial, plain alluvial, which is where, where the river used to be. Yep. So the soil is very interesting on that level, very balanced, and uh, it's very easy to grow here. So this is a place where people have been growing uh, vegetables um, for centuries. Yep. And, yeah, yeah, since, and, uh, and still, there are still um, many, you know, there, it's, it's kind of a residential neighborhood, but there are many big backyards, and there are still many market gardeners like yourself here. 
So the, before we started, the last market gardener of the, the area of the neighborhood closed three years ago. So mm. technically we're just the only ones now, oh, wow. but there's still a lot of people who are still gardening for themselves, yeah. old uh, professionals who are still growing for themselves, but they just grow like they used to, to grow. Yeah. And they just a, massive. They, I see big, big gardens <laughs> yes. for like a, an old couple. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Just usually when they say they don't do a lot, it means they do like 5,000 leak maybe per year. Or yeah, something. Yeah, so, yeah. 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 So we, 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 uh, yeah. Cause we went and visited, uh, an older gentleman who had one of the most beautiful gardens I've seen in his backyard. It's just, just a, yeah. yeah. And, and he had all the, all this. And so, so you, you, did you learn, uh, from your, um, from your father, grandfather, uh, about how to so do when, when I was production? a kid, so my grandpa was always, uh, farming, not professionally, uh, but he always kept a gigantic garden and, um, he, he just, take take me with him when he was gardening so i guess like i learned but more passively like he was not teaching yeah. he would make you do stuff that but that's the way people teach agriculture most of the time mm-hmm. they don't teach it yeah. they they use you and you learn from it yeah and you weren't <laughs> and you weren't so enthusiastic about farming at that point right no i mean waking <laughs> up at 5 a.m in yeah. the morning to harvest yeah. the potato when you're a teenager is not necessarily what you find the yeah. nicest but but what I think what was important that I always liked the place. And for me, the place always had a gigantic value in itself in the way that it's like a little oasis in the middle of the city. Mm-hmm. And we don't see those things very often anymore. Yeah. So, you know, the, one of the, this podcast that I'm doing the interview for is about how cities can become more locally productive and produce everything they consume. So, you know, the history of this area, I think, is really important in the work that you're doing to provide, you know, food in, in the modern age for, for Gaiac is, is really interesting in that regard. And um, there seems to be a whole um, bunch of young people who aren't traditionally farmers who are interested in particularly ecological farming. Yeah. Could you t- could you talk a little bit more about that movement in France or, or, or your yeah. connection with that? So I believe there is two things. There is one thing is that I think, so yes, it can be the, the part of, Growing vegetable for the people in cities is interesting, but I think what is more interesting is keeping spaces where those things can be done in cities. And so that, that is one thing with our project. And it comes with the sec- second things that when we started this project, we went to some um, meetings where people would just go to get information on how to start uh, with the local agriculture chamber and things like that. And we saw like so many young people who had very similar project and some education about it, but they had no lens. They Mm. had no, no possibilities, no, no place to do it. So regarding that as well, it's, it, it became like really even more uh, important for me to really do something with the space because I really realized that, it is. Uh, it's something that is being lost more and more. Yeah, so access to land in, in France, cities in, around cities for yeah. young farmers is difficult. Yeah, it's difficult. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's. I mean, it's difficult also because most of people they have to buy the lands mm-hmm. uh, because renting can be a thing. But when you have to put install some materials and thing and invest, it's a bit complicated when you do it on a place that is not yours. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, th- this part. Um, and, and, and the other thing is that 
when you have something in a city, you can really make it accessible to people to see how you do things and see how veggie grows uh, for children, but also for adults, because most of people, they really lost the link with the way things grow. Mm -hmm. So if they don't garden themselves, they don't really realize. And it's a thing we had with a couple clients that comes directly at the place and have no garden. It's just that they walk around the garden and they're like, oh, but that is pea. That's how it, it grows. And, and they see that things takes time mm -hmm. and they see the amount of work that it is. And it helps them understand also what is behind food and mm -hmm. what is also the price of food. So can you tell me a little bit more about your, you know, you didn't come from a, you know, you, you, you did some, um, your, your family, you know, your grandfather was really into having a big garden, but you didn't go in that direction when you went to school. Can you tell me about how you, you know, what you took at school and how you ended up being in, in a... In yeah, I, I studied philosophy and comparative literature in Canada, so I'm in totally different. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then I went into dancing after that, social dancing, so it's even different. But I believe, like, I really like to learn something from scratch and just... Yeah. suffer from it <laughs> for a couple years yeah. and um no but it's it's for me it's really the place i think i i wouldn't i would not have necessarily s seen myself as starting some agriculture project um if it wasn't for the place because your connection to the place here. yes yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. because um i was living in cities most of my life i grew mm -hmm. up in paris mm -hmm. uh then i was in montreal so I had like relationship to the food because I worked a lot in restaurants mm -hmm. and the, where comes the, where the food comes from and how it is produced and having relationship with farmers. Those were already in things that I was considering as, as a customer, as a person who used the food. Yeah. But, um, but I had no idea of, like for me, I was a bit like majority of people, like thinking of agriculture. I was thinking of machines, of tractors and things that I, it was not very appealing to me. It's only when I got the place here and the opportunity to do something with it that I researched more about different type of agriculture that I found out about by Elliot Coleman, about the Ferme du bec loin uh, Jean-Martin Fortier, all those people that presented uh, other uh, form of agriculture that mm -hmm. are very inspiring and yeah, so these are some human size so agriculture. These are some of the, your influences yeah. in um, in your approach because there there are many you know people think tend to think maybe of organic agriculture as one thing but there are many approaches to ecological agriculture. Yeah, yeah, know? many different. Yeah, and and so could you and so you, you just mentioned some of your influences and but you're also developing your your you know something that's uniquely your own here in terms of. You know, you're 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 taking things, but you're learning as you're mm -hmm. going through this process. Yeah. So tell me about your farming philosophy. What mm. what lessons have you learned in the last couple of years, and in in, in what things are working and not working? What's your approach to? Mm. Your, your well, I think that when I started, uh, when we decided with my companion to start the project, first we needed to learn many things because none of us had garden really before. So it was just buying books, reading books and researching on internets and watching videos. And after a little while, I went to uh, some farmers around to give them a hand and learn also, even from traditional agriculture. But what I saw is that 
there was so many different options that we could go. So I tried to find a system that was the simplest as possible to start because it was already many, many things. Mm -hmm. And in that sense, I think Charles Dowding with his method of compost is just the... He's one of my... It's funny because when we met, we we have a lot of the same influences in our approach to uh, uh, farming. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you feel very safe when you you start with his method. It's one thing. It's just you learn and, and I mean, it helps you understanding the dynamic with compost, with soil, with nutrition, with many things. But uh, it's still... It's also very low cost at the beginning, which was important for us because we didn't know if we would like it or not. So we were trying to keep things small. Uh, It's really one thing that uh, we went with is just to start with a very small garden. Like the first garden was 500 square meter. And we were still doing two up to three markets per week with that. Mm. Um, And you know, you don't need to plant like... 20 meters or more of leak to understand how a leak grows but Mm. that's what you need to learn the first years Mm. so we just like had a small garden plants very like a big varieties of crops to try to understand the cycle as much as possible and it's complex when you're doing a market garden with 20 or 30 or 40 different crops and a timing Mm -hmm. it's it's to me when i did it it was one of the most um, interesting and intellectually challenging things i had done and i'm an engineer you know so Mm -hmm. i i i can appreciate the the learning i it's it's really engaging it's a it's a lot of yeah you need to like to learn. Yeah, yeah. yeah you need yeah, to like yeah. to research. Like right. every time you walk in your garden, you see something yeah. on your plant. You're like, what is that? It is teaches it a- you something. I mean, your garden is always having a conversation with you. We, yeah, yeah. you need to pay attention. Yeah. And I think a small garden for that is good to start because. How many square meters do you farm with now? So now, without the the passage, it's about uh, seven hundred seven hundred eighty square meters. So that's about seven thousand eight hundred square feet yeah it's about 10 Maybe. square feet just, yeah, right. <laughs> just for for our for our north american uh, listeners um, it's not big yeah, yeah no but it's but it, but you grow a lot here and, it, and you yeah. grow it intensively Me. and and you also um you also use a lot of hand tools i know yeah just hand tools just yeah. hand tools yeah we have no like we have uh I don't know how we say in English, like no motors, mm-hmm. like uh, engine, Mot- in, engine. Yeah, yeah, we don't have engines. Yeah, yeah. So, but everything by hand. But that you can do it when it's a small space. You mm-hmm. you can take care much more of a small space than mm-hmm. of a big one. That's a, that's the thing about you know ecological agriculture is it is it is knowledge and management intensive versus chemical and machine intensive, mm-hmm. which is what's happening in industrial agriculture. They've abstracted away the knowledge that you need about the plants and replaced it with, you know, um, machines and chemicals. So here you have to know quite a lot about, you have to learn quite a lot about how everything works. Yeah, Yeah, I, I, I believe that even traditional farming they are not completely disconnected from those things, mm. even if they use chemicals and machines. Um, it's just that their goal is different. And for them, like the, the important part is to reduce the workload. Mm. It's really about that. And, and to still have like a sustainable, like a, make a living out mm-hmm. of it. The ecological question is not 
into their thinking. When new people come to, like people come to agriculture now, mostly people from cities actually, the ecological question is the first question. Mm. And after comes the, how can I make a living of it and how much work can I make, etc. But the question is like, is reversed, you know. Like normally when you start in agriculture, they ask you to think first, how much money do you need to make out of your lens? And regarding that, how much veggie you need to sell? And for that, how much veggie you need to produce? And for that, which space do you need? For us, we took the question completely reverse. We thought, okay, what's how much space can I actually take care of that I know that as one person... I can do at least the first year. And then how much veggie can I plant on that? How much does it give? And 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 then to try to make it fit. But if if you if you go with large space, you have to somehow replace physical work mm. by something. And mm. then you comes very fast to machines. Mm. And when you comes to machine, then you have your your growing structure starts to fit the machine. And and then you cannot do plant associations, for instance, mm-hmm. and then you start losing some symbiosis that you can get between plants mm-hmm. or different cycles. Mm-hmm. So it's it's very it's a very difficult road to maintain mm-hmm. because it's very easy to see some tools that could make your life so much easier. But then you're like, yeah, I could probably adapt that. But then you're like, okay, if I step this way, then I could also adapt that. And then you end up growing on plastic with some machines mm-hmm. yeah. and which which a lot of people do which a lot yeah. of people do yeah. and i mean it's fine yeah. i think we it, you, you can also respect people who grow food mm-hmm. this way mm-hmm. because it's still a very hard job even mm-hmm. if it's traditional agriculture but you have some tools um that are particularly suited to hand agriculture that you've selected yeah. that i don't see in the in in the states and small farmers that are that are quite quite interesting like the um Campagnol. Campagnol, yeah, which is kind of like a really fancy um, graylinette, which I, I'm forgetting them. It's it's a, it's a mix between a graylinette and a rake. So yeah. basically, it's like your graylinette, and when you lift it and then the soil lift up, there's some opposite tooth that goes in between the graylinette and will break the soil in thinner pieces. Yeah. Uh, and it's on wheels. Mm. And... It's, it's a tool that has been developed um, partly with the uh, by the firm of Becquerin Farm. No, we, we, yeah. You know, the, 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 it's, it's interesting because um, there, there's not many people who are, you know, um, you know companies who are develop, who are looking at, okay, how, how can I make Elisa's life on her farm easier? You know, and so, so there's, there's kind of a gap and most of the equipment is kind of farmer developed, you know, and, and farmers kind of figure out like Elliot Coleman, for example, mm. you know, the tools that he's developed. And so I think there's um, something rich there in terms of technology that could be more appropriate to um, this intensive hand-based agriculture that mm-hmm. you do, which I'm also very attracted to, but they could could make your life easier without going to the full route with machines. Yeah. So that's a, a question that I, I have. I, th- I think there there is actually like um, groups of people who are developing tools like that. I'm thinking of the, in France, we have Atelier Paysan, which we, are we, building tools and giving for free all the, the, the map building. Yeah, ma- we have, building. We have uh, Farm Hack. 
Mm. And, and the, uh, uh, at, uh, artisan, what was it? Atelier Paysan? Oui. oui. I want to go visit them. Yeah, Have you yeah, been yeah. there? No, I've never. We should go. Field trip. Yeah, we should go. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, um, yeah, so that's something that I, you know, I'm, but, I'm interested in. And, in, in, um, you know, those kind of open source efforts. Uh, yeah. We have another uh, project called... Um, uh, oh, what's his name? His name is Marcin Jacobson, um, Joukowsky, uh Open Source Ecology, mm-hmm. and he's like, okay, what are the what are the forty machines that we need to build and yeah. make them open source to create a whole new civilization? So, you know, how can we build with Earth, and what machines would we need? And so, this whole idea of making things that are that are um, appropriate um, for um, an ecological way of living is kind of interesting. So, but anyway, yeah. I, I but I, I think uh, I mean every farmer has so many ideas of tools they would need. They mm. just, most of them don't have the time or the knowledge mm. to, to build things. Yeah. And I remember when, just before I started, I uh, visited some farm and the guy told me, before you start, build as much tool as you can. Because <laughs> once you're in, you yeah. don't have the time to build anything. This is interesting. And I remember thinking of this, I was like, yeah, you need to build... F- we need to do that. And we did a little bit, but not enough. And yeah. he was totally right. Yeah, yeah. So, Once you get into the the, the, the flow of, of the production cycle of the season, yeah. you're super busy. And then you want some time off in the winter. You know? Me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I really appreciate your time, Elise. And, and it's, sure. it's been, and, you know, it'd be interesting to see your project develop. I know you have some ideas Me. about turning this into um, also sort of an education center and a cultural center. Can you just speak a bit, little bit about your vision, yeah. you know, beyond the farm? And, and then we'll finish well, up. I'll, well, I'll let you go. we just <laughs> would like to to bring a bit of life to the neighborhood because it has a past, mm. but it has a future yeah, also. Yeah. So uh, it would be nice if the people would appropriate, like to they would get this place as their own mm. to come and... Uh, grow things here and learn things here. We have ideas of um, medicinal plant uh, garden as well, uh, some to develop more the flower side. Uh, we would like to go also with some eco-construction for the pépinière mm-hmm. and have more of a orchard. and nursery. Yeah, nursery, yeah. sorry. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and yes, and give the possibility people to, to learn uh, how to garden yeah. uh, here and, and yeah. music yes we also want to mm. give a space for artists so mm. ideally to have some little apero in summer veggie yeah. and uh, music yeah. it's always nice uh, well I'm looking forward to that next summer thanks Elise Wait. appreciate it okay. gonna make this garden grow all it takes is a rake and a hoe and a piece of fertile ground and inch by inch Row by row, someone blessed these seeds. Okay, hey Leanne, what'd you think of that interview with uh, with Elise? Oh, that, oh, that was absolutely fantastic! What a what a um, wonderful story! I had such a visual in my head of her, just you know, with her grandfather's tools in a beautiful garden. Um, in are they in this region in France, um, really fantastic um, oh. narrative. We're in the Southwest and I was, I was working in her garden last week and uh, it was a beautiful sunny day with that bright, bright blue sky that, you know, it's kind of the, the only other place I've seen something like that is in, in a crystal clear day in Colorado. And um, it's, you know, it's fall now, it's December, but this, the, for some reason, it, we're, we're a little further north than you are actually uh, on the, um, 
on the globe than Iowa. But um, the sun here is remarkably strong, even though it's low on the horizon when it comes out, it's got a lot of energy. And I was sitting in the garden, Elise had to go in for a little bit and I sit and took a break. And I was just so contented to sit there in the garden with the sun and the beauty of the garden there and the connection to the land and uh, that whole area. It was just, it was very meaningful to me. And um, anyway, so that, you know, this idea that um, cities can produce everything they consume, including all the food that they consume, I think, you know, um, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to start to explore that more in our, in our, uh, in our podcast. Yeah. You know, it made me think too, you know, I love that she talked about um, the land as being one of the important components, especially when you're in a city that you need to have the land to actually do the farming on. And um, it made me think, you know, I, I'm in New York now for the holidays. Um, my sister lives in Harlem um, and she lives in Spanish Harlem and um, she had COVID. Uh, this, she's COVID um, sadly. So I went, I went to go up to where she was and to get her some vegetable, like not, you know, not vegetable. It was, I went to get her some stuff, you know, for, for being sick, like some chicken soup and some lemons and some ginger and, and just some fresh, fresh uh, berries and things like that. And it was just so interesting walking along the streets of the city. You know, I walked about 10 blocks to get um, from her apartment to a Whole Foods and really thought, oh man, like what you, like, where do you get fresh vegetables in Manhattan mm. when in, in kind of in neighborhoods and like, how can you begin to think about, and I know I'm sure I know New York has pockets of these things and I know Brooklyn has pockets. I don't know if, if um, above Central Park has pockets or not. I'm sure they do. But in this, you know, 10 block radius, I, I thought a lot about like, you know, how, how can you farm, create urban pockets um, so right. that people can get locally produced, you know, access to fresh fruits and vegetables and things like that. Obviously fruits are harder, but really struck me as, as a need. I, I have a, a, a former student, um, Bij Brahanu, who um, is one of the directors of the community garden programs in New York City. And there are, I think, 25, 30,000 people involved in community garden activities. And there's, you know, dozens, if not 100 community gardens all around New York. And we're going to have a guest, Dr. David Fisher, who's going to talk about, you know, his new book, Just Grow It Yourself, where he's, um, uh, he he makes a very strong argument that we could feed the, um, you know, the U.S. on home backyard gardens, and it would be much more efficient. And what, what was really surprising is not that, you, you know, you could actually do it, you know, that's, you know, the mechanics of it, but that it's actually more efficient uh, than industrial agriculture. And, well, that's, uh, go ahead. I mean, that's the thing, though, but in New York, like, there's no backyard. I mean, in right. this 10-block radius that I just walked through, there wasn't, there wasn't really a backyard. There's, there's lots of buildings. There's lots of streets. There's lots of cars. There's roofs. Um, right. But there's no real, there's, I mean, there's guard, there's, there are like gardens and parks. There's a lot of parks around that area. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it'll be interesting to understand how different cities manage this, whether it's a yeah. community garden, a rooftop garden or a vertical garden. It's like, what are the different management strategies for local food in urban environments? I think, you know, a couple of places that, um, you know, we'll explore more in the program. Uh, are, that are um, really looking serious at this are Detroit and uh, Cuba. Uh, you know, oh, wow. Cuba, Cuba had to, you know, one of the things that, uh, that, that uh, David Fisher mentions in his book is that, you know, the, the U.S. went from um, 
feeding itself from farms to backyard gardens in a period of about 12, 18 months during World War II, the Victory Gardens. And uh, 24 million people, 25 million people were involved in that process. And um, <clears throat> anyway, we'll have him talk about that next week. But there's a whole history of that, even in this country. And, and um, switching things that switches, switches that took place pretty quickly. Like in Cuba, I think, I, I think they grow 80% of the vegetables in the city. And the fertility of those vegetables is supported by the, you know, the green waste and the organic material that is surplus in any city. Um, and that, that, that transition came about because they lost their access to um, the chemicals and tech, technologies of industrial agriculture when the Soviet Union um, uh, split up. And they have a lot of smart people and they have a great education system. And they, they converted uh, to organic agriculture, mostly organic agriculture, in a couple of years. We'll, we'll talk more about that another time. But anyway, I, I think I'm really excited to explore this more and to have um, – you know, shared with you uh, this, um, this, this uh, uh, Elise's story, and uh, look forward to more of that conversation in the future. Sounds great. Talk okay. to you soon, Lonnie. Take care, Leanne. Have a good holiday. Yeah, you too. Put in about a mile of beans He hold and he hold and he watch him turn green He look up in the sky and he said Hey man, we should be living off the fat of the land Old Bucky Fuller, he said one night There's plenty to go around if we do it right Gotta all get together and make a new plan We should be living off the fat of the land We should be living, could be living Should be living off the fat of the land Stop that fighting, quit them wars Get down to doing what we come here for Get down to digging in the master plan We should be living off the bad of the land A lot of good people down through time Grew their own food, made their own wine And now in these desperate times We should be living off the bad of the land We should be living, could be living Should be living off the bad of the land Could be living should be living, could be living off the bed Take all the power of the rising sun Make it all available to everyone That's the only way we're gonna get things done When we're moving off the fat of the land Book up power of the endless wind Let the windmills start spinning Take away the money and we all win We'll be living off the fat of the land We should be living, could be living Should be living off the fat Should be living, could be living Should be living off the fat of the land Off the bed of the
be living off the bed of the land Buy your food from the local man Treat the earth the best you can Maybe we can all start again To be living off the bed of the land Get a few chickens and watch them go Get a little garden and a rake and a hoe Get a few tomatoes and before you know You'll be living off the fat of the land You'll the people strike up the band We should be living off the fat of the land We should be living off the fat of the land Should be living off the fat of the land Should be living off the fat of the land Could be living off the bed.